Welcome to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between WAER and the Newhouse School of Public Communications. I'm Chris Bolt. The missing persons case of a female member of the Army became shrouded in secrecy and acrimony, perhaps until pressure through social media caused change. In this episode of Newhouse Impact, PhD student Michelle Johnson discusses her research into the situation as a case study on the effects a social media campaign or movement can have to affect change. Without social media, led by a motivated group of people, to make change and to prevent this from happening from anyone else who was like Vanessa. The public's need to know about what happens to soldiers, that that helped spark people's interest. And without those hashtags and and that motivated group of people, these changes would not have happened. In the missing persons case, Vanessa Guillen's body was eventually discovered. She had been murdered, but not after what's been described as deflection and silence about an investigation by the U.S. Army. When a celebrity and national organization for Latina citizens got involved, their social media reach exerted pressure, and finally some answers for Guillen's family while she was still missing. Michelle Johnson's research examines whether and to what degree social media can leverage change, in this case, even against an institution as monolithic and immovable as the U.S. military. That's all ahead on Newhouse Impact. Michelle Johnson, Newhouse PhD student studying social media and how it might be able to drive organizational change, Thanks for joining us on Newhouse Impact. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be able to talk about things that are really kind of really important to society at large and especially members of the military. Yeah, gotcha. So big picture on this, you looked into how social media, a movement, had the power to affect change against something, in this case, as rigid as the U.S. military using this tragic missing persons case. How did you become interested in what were you looking at when you went into looking into this case and the responses to it? So I am a 25-year military veteran. I um, am a woman. Uh, I was an Army leader. And uh, I was a sexual assault victim. There are some, you know, some relationships to that conversation in this case, as you will find out. And so all of those things made this very important to me. I was in the military at the time that this case kind of broke and I watched it unfold and I too felt the uh, you know felt like not only am I a soldier a woman uh, a, a sexual assault for a survivor not in the military but sexual assault for survivor nonetheless and a mother of soldiers that this was you know it was important to me that um, we really understand why this unfolded the way it unfolded and since I do have the expertise and now I'm at Newhouse and I have the ability to study things that were important to me, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to take the opportunity to do that and see if we could understand why it went the way it went and the missteps and how we can, at least from my profession as a public relations, crisis communication, social media um, a scholar, if we could figure out how to not make those things happen again. Or we can note where they went wrong and adjust so you have uh, you have touch points to this in a lot of ways, not just being a member of the yeah. military, but uh, in many other ways. And you describe that as as sort of an intersectional approach to it. Co- correct. Yeah, I think, um, and I think you find here in the case itself, we find that 
that the intersections of identities really matter in why people are emotionally tied to the story so so in in you know intimately right before we get into too many particulars about the case, just discuss with us what was your military career, um, you know, your 20 years plus in the military? Sure. So I was uh, I got out of college, started working. Um, uh, actually, didn't finish college. I was trying to finish college and trying to work. And so um, one day I was like, it's really, really hard to keep doing all these things at the same time. So maybe I can, you know, join the military and I can get some help paying for school. Um, at least my undergraduate degree. And so I enlisted in the Army National Guard in Ohio, where I'm from. And I spent uh, five years in the Army, in the Army National Guard there as a military police officer. Then met my husband there, and uh, he decided he wanted to go on active duty. And so he did. And I decided, you know what, if I'm, we're going to go on, if you're going to go on active duty, I'm going to too. <laughs> but this time I'm going to do a job that relates to my Mm -hmm. my degree. And I did. So we have something very similar to what you do here in the studio, which is, mm -hmm. you know, broadcasting. And so I ended up being a broadcast journalist in the, in the Army for the first maybe 10 years of my career. And then after that, you switch kind of to the public relations, public affairs field as you, you right. grow. And so I spent the majority of my time in public affairs in the military, uh, lived in three different countries and uh, did a lot of really interesting things. Let's briefly discuss how the I am Vanessa Guillen, hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen story unfolded. Uh, can you start with just sort of the timeline of her disappearance and kind of the initial response to that? So I think one of the, the critical moment is starting in April 20th, 2022. Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen, um, she was last seen on her military base. But at that time, we didn't really know uh, what had happened to her. Um, her her disappearance was the catalyst for the series of events that went about that um, resonated really beyond that military base in Texas. And um, it began really April 30th when Vanessa's sister, after reaching out to the military and not really getting the resol resolution that um, she wanted, uh, Vanessa's sister, Myra Guillen, she took to the media. Mm -hmm. um, she was trying to find out information about her sister, and this was the best way she knew how to do it. She wanted to use the media to pressure the military to give her more details because the family was very close. Vanessa mm -hmm. didn't live far from um, where her family actually uh, lived, and so they would spend a lot of time together. She constantly called them. So when she wasn't answering her phone, they were very concerned. But that didn't so much translate when the family called the military. Hmm. They didn't really see it as a big deal because soldiers don't answer their phones a lot. Um, and, and I think you feel, that was one of those things that I noticed in this case is that, you know, sometimes the bureaucracy and sometimes the things that people do, young people especially, you know, mm -hmm. she was young, um, the, the things that young people do, they get distracted and they are not always available to you. Um, but this was different for the family. And they knew that this was a different, you know, behavior for Vanessa. So they were very concerned. So they were um, they were bothered by the fact that they weren't getting the resolve, and they went to the media. Um, and then there were uh, there were several other instances where they tried to get information from the military, and it wasn't really getting the information that they wanted. But one of the m next most significant pieces of information was uh, that came out was on June 9th. Um, it marks a really significant turning point for Vanessa's mother, mm -hmm. um, Gloria. 
she revealed that her daughters had told her that she had been sexually harassed within the military and she had, you know, uh, released details about this. Now, at this point, there was no connection between her disappearance and this um, revelation to her mother that she had been sexually harassed. Um, in many of the documentaries, there are other people who have mentioned, you know, uh, members of the military who were um, in her unit or friends who had mentioned that they that they had seen the sexual harassment mm. or they had they had um, so they somewhat had been, backed up, documented yes, to some degree. To some degree, with some some level of uh, witness statements, I'm mm -hmm. sure that they existed. So those two things started to become conflated. So it, it I, I believe that in Gloria Guillen's mind and, and Myra Guillen's mind that those those things had to be connected. Right. At this point, there was no evidence that they were connected, though. At this point, where is the search for Vanessa? Yeah, so that's the question. I know that from the from the uh, documentation that is available from the military in terms of the, the reports that are right. official reports, that they were actually physically searching for her. Well, right. At some point, I mean, there, there was the first thing you said that it's a young person. They don't always answer their phone. But as she continues to go missing, she's not making assignments in her military duties. She's not showing up to breakfast, lunch and dinner, whatever else, like pretty quickly is a missing persons case, not somebody who's not answering their phone for their family. Right. So a couple things to, to note here. Number one is that the military was looking for her that same night. I don't know the level of you know detail right. in that because so what? As a leader in the military, most of the time when a soldier doesn't show up for where they're supposed to be, uh, you assume they slept they slept in, they overslept, they, you know, had a had a drinking bitch or whatever right, right, the case right. may be. There was something going on. Right. But this was during COVID. Mm -hmm. So there were not people moving in and out of offices as much as they were used to. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it wasn't unusual not to have somebody in formation because we weren't having formations in right, that same way. Right. But Norm still, this is 24, 48, 72 hours, sure. not days and weeks. No, right, right. So it, so there was a lack of, of, you know, feeling that this was a serious disappearance, I think, inside the, the, the military. Um, and there was no mechanism at that point to... Help ha have a way to look for soldiers who had been who had gone missing. Hmm. There was no mechanism in place. They just kind of assumed that she would show up somewhere. Right. Huh? Now the army's silence over this again, not in terms of days, but as it goes longer and longer. How did that affect the investigation, the public's response on media or social media? Well, I think so. In in um, crisis communication literature, you hear a lot. Uh, we talk a lot about stealing thunder. Right. And that, that's a it's a legal term. Uh, you know, legal uh, scholars have used that term to talk about how um, if there's something bad going on, that the best thing to do is to get in front of it. And that usually does well. Right. well. Yeah. Right. Controlling the message we yep. talk about in the media. And the more you say, you kind of guide where it's going. Silence, however, creates a vacuum. Exactly. But they weren't silent because. Um, they were hiding anything, but that's not the impression that the family and advocates started to get. So silence in this case, you will find that it often um, creates distrust um, and destroys credibility. And, and that's kind of the key thing, one of the key findings here. Well, and, and to me, again, as a member of the media, lots of times bigger institutions are quieter 
with the ostensible reason to um, minimize any damage or protect their image over concerns about being transparent, accountability to other stakeholders, in this case, her family and friends, et cetera. And I will say, as a, you know, I have to announce- And, and you're a public affairs person who was kind of <laughs> on the other side of this in a way. Yeah, I have to say, you know, I have to announce my bias. I literally know people who were part of responding to this case. So um, several of my friends and, and coworkers and mentors were in some way involved in shaping how this unfolded. But what everyone must un understand is the military is a bureaucracy. And one of the most important things is maintaining the integrity of the case, of the investigation. And right. there was an investigation at this point. So very often when you have a table full of experts sitting there telling a commander who's, who's the one who says whether we speak or we don't speak to the media, it's not the public affairs person ever um, who gets that decision. They make a recommendation and it's either accepted or, or rejected. So the, the commanders were getting this information from people who I know who were saying, we recommend this and we recommend this. At the end of the day, the, the preservation of the investigation seemed to outweigh the need to communicate to stakeholders right. and, and their family. So based on your findings, as you did mm -hmm. start to look into it more and started to see this media response and what the family was doing, and then that's starting to have... I don't know whether you'd call it a nudge or a, a stronger impact. Um, how did social media driven around this case and specifically the hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen, how did that have an impact on that behavior? So it basically forced them to take action or to, to do more, but it was a little too late. It, it was just too late. So um uh, let's look at the, the kind of events as they went along. I mentioned on June 9th, um, uh, Vanessa Guillen's mother, Gloria, mentioned to the military about the alleged sexual assault mm -hmm. or sexual harassment, excuse me. Then uh, the next day, they um, addressed the media again. The family addressed the media again and criticized the Army's lack of transparency. The next day, Mexican actress Salma Hayek, uh, mm -hmm. I think several of us know who she is, she posted on her Instagram a photo holding Guillen's picture, and um, she uses a hashtag on that photo that says hashtag find Vanessa Guillen. She has millions of followers. Right. So the virality of that, coupled with the fact that she is Hispanic, Vanessa's Hispanic, now you have more people now interested in finding out, now emotionally tied to this case. Do you have and, any idea if the Selma Hayek connection happened, you know, organically or did they reach out to her because of the Hispanic connection or do you, do you know? I feel like it happened organically, uh -huh. but I haven't heard or seen anything that uh, that says one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then next day. So it's, it's so starting in June, it's like every day there's a new thing that happens. So June 12th, 12th, People Magazine, they shared Selma Hayek's um uh, vow that she was going to post every day until Vanessa was found. Wow. So this has taken off. It's taken off. Um, so now it went from, you know, social media back to traditional media. And I was bouncing back and forth between those those two things. So the tags hash at find, find Vanessa Guillen. So now there's a Facebook and an Instagram uh, profile now that is find Vanessa Guillen. So there's a group of people who are looking for her. Um, and posting about her. This page uh, is became a, a, a source of information for people interested in the case, but it often contradicted the military story. Oh, huh. Uh -huh. And so then June 13th, um, the Houston rapper Baby Bash, he posted to Facebook 
And he urged his followers to find Vanessa Guillen and then offered a $5,000 reward. Then a couple days later, uh, Fort Hood and, and uh, Three Corps uh, posts the CID reward increase to $25,000 to their Facebook and Instagram page. And they also tried to dispel some of the rumors. Mm-hmm. So at this point, this is really one of the first times that there was any sort of like mention from the the military about what was what they were doing what was happening there was already a reward but it was it wasn't seen it wasn't noticed until right there was a bigger conversation about where she was and what happened to her and and you're suggesting that the as it started to get more and more attention they felt like they they the military felt like they had to react and respond in some way i mean to dispel rumors needless to say is classic pr i mean you need to Again, control the narrative or at least correct the narrative in this case. Right. It's really important in public relations and public affairs to to ensure that there is accurate information because it could change the way the investigation unfolds. And then there it could impede the way they have the ability to find Vanessa. However, the lack of awareness that stakeholders were interested, that that uh, people wanted to know what was happening uh it just went un, unnoticed by – I know it was noticed by the people who were in my shoes, you know, who were mm-hmm. military mm-hmm. public relations people. And, and I give them a lot of credit for what they tried to do. But very often when the lawyers are in the room and the criminal investigation are in the room, those things outweigh the need for communication with stakeholders. And they didn't – I don't think they recognized at the time the leaders recognized how critical that – lack of communication was going to be to how things unfolded. It changed the way the military operates on a fundamental Mm -hmm. level. Yeah. What was the key to that? Again, Mm -hmm. we were talking about just this monolithic organization institution, the Army. You don't push that very easily. So what was the key did you find or do you surmise in your case study that made it something that they felt like, huh, we're actually going to, this huge organization has to make a little bit of a change of course. I mean, kind of a major change of course, and like you said, when they really want to kind of say nothing. Well, there were already local um, politicians who were getting involved already by this point. So you started to see that. When, um, then on June 18th, Fort Hood, Three Corps, um, they started to post photos of the search on Twitter, of their search, and that felt like a performance to people. Hmm. People saw that as a performance and uh, and a little too late. Right. And I don't think that that's how they perceived that was going to be um, received by audiences. But really, it, it probably was June 19th, 2020. That's when a uh, soldier named Karina Lopez, she shared- 2020? 2020. Yes, 2020. Okay. I said 2022 earlier. Yeah. Please. Okay. Uh, mistake. Um, uh, soldier Karina Lopez, she shared a military sexual assault story on her Facebook, and um, she used the hashtag, I am Vanessa Guillen. I am, I am Karina Lopez, and I am Vanessa Guillen. Mm-hmm. This prompted other members of the military, whether they were in the Army or other services previously serving, serving now, to also share their story. Oh, huh. So this is when it became analogous to the military's Me Too movement. Right. And um, I think that's when it got a lot of attention. It mm-hmm. blew up. And so she posted her photo 
and um, Vanessa's photo in military. Basically, it's your basic training photo that you, everyone gets. And they put them side by side. Mm-hmm. And looking at them, they look very familiar. They look uh-huh, very, wow. they favored each other. Right. And so just that imagery and that hashtag together caused other people to say, I see myself in Vanessa's story. Mm-hmm. And so they started to share their own stories of sexual harassment, sexual assaults. And make no mistake, those things happen in the military. It is a you know, male-dominated um, environment, um, and there has been a lot of effort to try to fix that culture. Right. I have in my you – know, there are some things that um, – that I've done as a like side work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, work in the military that um, assists victims of sexual assault, sexual harassment. I did training to prevent it um, and understand signs of it, and I was I did response to victims several mm-hmm. times in my career. So it happens, and um, it, it, there is still a pervasive culture in the military. Mm-hmm. People want to stop it, but this is bigger than just right. wanting to stop it. I want to get to sort of the bigger findings of your study mm-hmm. in a minute, but let's wrap up the Vanessa Guillen case. Was she found? I mean, was was there a resolution at some point either that was found or that the Army admitted to or made yeah. public? Yes. Um, so on June 30th, um, 2020, human remains were found near the Leon River. And um, the Guillen family then announced that they will lobby Congress to investigate. So getting back to what uh, to what we were talking about, how this got to change, mm-hmm. they once she was found or the remains were found, um, that's when they also announced that they were going to be um, uh, lobbying Congress. On uh, July 2nd, Fort Hood did a press conference and basically announced what had happened. Or that they had, that she had been found, or her remains had been found, and then the Guillen family released a statement saying that the army informed them that uh, the Guillen's remains were found before the military did. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, um, and then, so as uh, things unfolded, they the investigation was still all the all the while going on, and mm-hmm. there had been. Um, there had been information that they were able to to find. They used cell phone records mm-hmm. of the last place that she was physically at, which is her place of employment, uh-huh. her place of duty every day, which was the arms room. Um, and I I refuse to say his name, um, if you don't mind that. But right. I don't think he needs any um, he needs any um, attention in this case. Um, but the the soldier. The soldier who um, allegedly, and we can say allegedly now because be, we have to say allegedly because he um, took his own life before he was able to, before the military was able to Try take him, him in. Mm-hmm. to see if he was guilty for the crime. Yeah. Yes. Um, but his uh, significant other girlfriend uh, was uh, contributed to the information that led to him, mm-hmm. uh, led to them finding him. And, uh, and then... You know, as as I stated, he took his own life before the investigation could could conclude. Uh, and um, the girlfriend, the significant other, is in custody. As um, and I I'm, I I don't remember where things are with um with her right mm-hmm. now. Um, because I don't follow it at this point. Right. Uh, yeah, but I know that she was um, she got in trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Seeing how the military was forced to change their tactics because of a social movement or social media movement uh, 
what what made sense or, or, or how did that movement transform what would be that organization's traditional crisis management and communication? You know, they, they first of all, you mentioned, had the family go public, if you will, in mm -hmm. whatever ways. Then they kind of quickly got sort of a boost with Salma Hayek and others, uh, and then even other members of the military sort of in a sideways, but also, you know, bringing it in front of more eyes and ears and whatever. Yeah, a grassroots way. Yeah, mm -hmm. what what makes sense in that case or, or what's the the causal relationship that that social media movement can move a big organization to change? So we all so all organizations face pr pr face pressure. All organizations face pressures, multiple pressures from different different places. Mm -hmm. And some of them kind of are seen as more important than other pressures. Um, and what I found is that the um, the pressures of the organizational need to maintain the the integrity of an investigation and the legal ramifications tended to outweigh the pressures of the public until it was too late and they had to bow to the pressures of the public through the social media um, campaigns, the multiple different social media campaigns. I mean, you had LULAC, which is the uh, um, the Hispanic organization, Latin American organization that was very vocal in how they were responding to it and um, encouraging uh, um, people to pressure the military to give more information throughout the course of the events. Um, you had members of Congress now involved um, asking for information. When Congress calls the military, things stop. Um, and so there, there's a whole process for how how to respond to a, a query from Congress. Right. Um, and th those are not always uh, with the public relations folks, public affairs folks um, being participants in that. Oh, uh huh. Um, nowadays, that is part of the conversation. So mm -hmm. public affairs also looks at, okay, well, we're missing pieces here. Have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? Mm -hmm. I think the lessons were learned. I don't know if they're um, if they were learned across the board. Yeah, or widely applied, right? Yeah, and the hierarchy of the military, right? So right. you can have have the highest levels of the military saying we have changed our way of of working, mm -hmm. and we are going to be transparent about these things, and we're going to balance between investigation and need to know from in, invested publics, um, and then people at the lower levels who. Aren't, aren't that invested in that conversation or who are looking to just finish their mission. Um, one of the things that happened out of this is now there is a protocol for missing soldiers. Hmm, interesting. So if a soldier doesn't show up when they're supposed to be at a certain place, they're in, you initiate a series of events that now must be taken. And one of the series of events is after they've called local family and tried to see if do you know where or friends, they go to the media and hmm. ask them for help. Right. Local officials which, and media. Which sounds like a really big change. It's a huge change. I mean, as opposed to doing that when and if they want. Right. Yeah. It's a huge change because it's almost uh, this idea of airing your dirty laundry because soldiers are supposed to be where they're supposed to be. So, right. Yeah. It, it, right. Except for in this case, obviously, the personal safety was, you know, at the worst possible result. Is there anything that occurred to you that that we need to protect the investigation or we're not commenting on an open legal case, kind of a convenient out. Because again, we hear that from lots of institutions in anything. It's an open case. We're not commenting about it. 
I do know from experience that that's very important to the military. It's really important. Right. It's a it's a cultural thing that it's important to maintain the integrity of the investigation. Um, and having these conversations uh, in in cases that I've had to deal with as a public uh, affairs person, back and forth between the CID or the investigators and, well, what can we say? Because right. we need more than we're not commenting. It's not going to work. Right. Um, and that has to constantly be balanced. Uh, one of the concepts you explored in your case study was what defines an effective or ineffective response in the digital age, which, needless to say, it's changed things. It's, Absolutely. It's not just letter writing or what ha have you. What about the Army's approach in the Guillain case was effective or ineffective, and how do you see that changing because it's the digital age? I think the the speed and dynamic nature of social media, the, the digital age, has changed the way we have to do crisis communication. And this was this was absolutely a crisis. And um, and, and that's that's the number one thing is that it was it, a crisis in the digital age is dynamic. It requires um, real time response. A waiting for a, a press conference, um, you know, we're in April when she goes missing, but in July is when they do a press conference. This is ineffective. This and and it's, and 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 one of the imagery and one of the images you see very often if you go back and search information on this case is is the Vanessa Guillen's family doing their own press conferences right in front of the Fort Hood gate. Mm -hmm. um, much earlier. Much earlier. Right. So they had set in motion the way that you're supposed to run a crisis, right? Hmm. They did. They ran this crisis communication in their favor through traditional and social media. Right. Um, well, especially in a missing persons case where mm -hmm. time is of the essence, we all know. So the sooner you get it out there, the sooner somebody who might know something can come forward. Right, exactly. Um, and, I, and that ultimately happens. Um, and what I also find is that you need to be, uh, you need to tailor your communication strategy to the needs of the various stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Do that in real time. Um, and when you don't, the gap will be filled, especially about people who care. If you have a motivated group of people like this Vanessa Guillen's family, and then a motivated community of Hispanic leaders and, and, and just Hispanic um, community members, they are going to pressure you to do your job to to help find the soldier. Vanessa deserved to be found. Mm -hmm. I know that there were people looking. It's just never noted anywhere in the media that people were looking. Right, or to what extent, or what that involved. Right? Has it ever been backfilled? You know, has there ever been any report that you could go look at and say, well, in fact, there was five hundred people searching of yes. you know the the areas where a body might be or what have you. Yeah, in fact, there are. There are. So uh, they were doing it. They I were mean, they doing could it. could have said, hey, we're searching. They could have said right. this. And I don't know why they didn't. Um, one of the next things I would love to do is try to go deeper into those communications. Mm -hmm. um, I would have to do a FOIA request for some of the, you know, uh, Internals in, internal, like internal communications on, you know, where were the, why did they decide not to release this information that there are people looking for her? And right. they were looking for her that same night, hmm. yeah. the same night that her mother, her mother and sister called. Wow. Um, yeah. Now, I think this is true. Legislation actually passed or her name is mentioned in legislation that yes. President Biden signed mm -hmm. 
uh, that made led to some of these changes you described earlier. How big a role did the social media movement have in affecting that change and getting that as a piece of a bill or whatever it ended up being? I think it was instrumental. I think without social media, um, led by a motivated group of people to make change and to prevent this from happening from anyone else who was like Vanessa, that um, that that public uh, the public's need to know about what happens to soldiers and that they're taken care of um, when they're 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 given to the military and entrusted to the military. Um, that that helped spark people's interest. And without those hashtags and, and that motivated group of people, this, these changes would not have happened. And, and to kind of uh, give you a sense of how monumental those changes were, um, military commanders have always had, in the history of the military, have had basically, uh, you know, uh, this immense amount of power over what happens to, you know, punishments that mm-hmm. happen to people who do good, bad, or wrong in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like judges and jury in a lot of ways. There is a mechanism um, for um, for uh, due process in the military, right. but in a lot of ways, military commanders um, get the first chop at that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be forever for me to kind of go, go through right, that's you know, the details of that. Day. Yeah, topic for another day <laughs> about military uh, legal, and I'm not the expert on it. You probably have several people who could do a better job, but in the at the end of the day, um, what happened was their ability to make decisions or to even be part of this discussion when it came to sexual assault and sexual harassment, harassment was removed. Mm-hmm. Congress had to do that through the National Defense Authoriz- Authorization Act, which was written in part, um, parts of it, which were called the I Am Vanessa Guillen Act, mm-hmm. um, were written in part with the support and help of Vanessa Guillen's family. Oh, yeah. They led this charge right. in Congress to try to prevent this from happening to others. And um, and so that all what happens is now we have we have uh, a different mechanism for how these cases are are handled. They're not handled by commanders anymore. Now, now remember, I'm going to go back and say she was missing. And at this point, we don't really know for sure other than from the one of the people who was uh, implicated in mm-hmm. her um, disappearance, why she was murdered, why right. she went missing, and why she was ultimately murdered. Um, their speculation from mm-hmm. that information that they gained from um, that person, but there was no connection between that and sexual harassment or sexual assault. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I I think it may have been a different party altogether that she was accusing right. of sexual harassment. But that didn't stop this case from now becoming about that. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways, it's almost like um, Vanessa's death and sacrifice made the world better for people in the military, yeah. Yeah. particularly um, particularly uh, female soldiers. I know Senator, speaking of Congress, mm-hmm. I know Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has made sexual harassment in the military a crusade, mm-hmm. has done many, many things, you know, some that have been effective and maybe some not. Can you draw any correlation with social media movements or pressure that uh, this one or others that has motivated her or helped her, any of her efforts? Um, so uh, Senator Gillibrand had been working on this uh, this 
campaign uh, about sexual assault and sexual harassment in the military long before this case. Right. But I think it offered her an opportunity to have a new discussion about it. And um, when the when the um, bill came about again, the National Defense Authorization Act, um, now she had a face, you know, that the world knew that was now able to say, this is why we need this change. Um, it was it was uh, this tradition of military commanders having power to adjudicate um, cases. Uh, it was very ingrained, and and I've had mm-hmm. I've had I've had discussions back and forth, you know, in, with people about this, and they were very firm that it would be detrimental to the military, mm-hmm. um, that it would destroy good order and discipline. I have never thought that. I have mm-hmm. always thought that um, it is probably much better always to have these types of cases, these very serious cases handled by somebody who has more wherewithal and knowledge to deal with them. Let's extrapolate out just a little bit. Since social media attention obviously worked in the favor of passing the I Am Vanessa Guillen Act, how could you see that affecting sort of other social media dynamics between organizations and stakeholders? Is this something somebody would look at in your study? Hopefully they read it a thousand times. Uh, <laughs> and if so, how does that work? Like, like, would you be able to say, here's how that will be effective? I mean, some of it, I imagine, is the level of attention. But what would you say? Um, I don't think we're at a position to say this is how this will work. Although, strangely enough, my dissertation is um, I'm working on the idea mm-hmm. of there is a vast amount of data out there on the on the Internet that allows us to now potentially predict when you know the factors that are important in a in a crisis case. Um, maybe there's a, the ability now with uh, so much data to be able to predict whether or not this case has the potential of becoming a serious crisis for you. And then that gives you that sensing, you know, period of sensing that you can say, now we should do something different or we should move this needle this way. We should do more public statements. We should engage with the families. Um, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, what, mm-hmm. what you're finding, correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. or react to it how you will, <laughs> Is that in this age, because of social media and the amount of attention and pressure it can, you know, apply to an issue or a situation, the rules are a little different. Like the rules of engagement with the public or keeping it quiet or what have you have necessarily changed. They have. I think, um, and, and, you know, some some uh, public relations purists might um, berate me for this, but I think the old models of how uh, crises were um, developed no longer work. Um, or a very large part don't work the same way. Um, there's not enough time for you to negotiate what strategy you're going to use, decide who's going to respond, you know, who's, how much responsibility you're going to take. In essence, if the stakeholders say you're responsible on social media, you're responsible. So now you have to act as though you're responsible as an organization. In a social media movement that's going to be effective, whatever the outcome or desire, mm-hmm. Can it just be grassroots? Does it need to have kind of these broader collaborations? I think grassroots works just fine. I don't think Selma Hayek needed to be involved. I think that her involvement um, opened the window for other people um, to find out about it. But I think if Karina Lopez had um, had done that same, I am Karina Lopez and I, and I am hashtag Vanessa Guillen, I think that still would have been the same 
uh, because it was it, it was that hashtag, her story, and the imagery. I think without those, that was a very perfect combination of connection between people who saw themselves in that story. And that's what got most of the attention, um, combined with the family and their motivation to see justice done and to find their daughter, their sister. Uh, how has your experience delving into this case and researching it and the Guillen case and its particulars, how has it impacted you and maybe other women who would serve in the military or maybe, in, maybe be influenced not to? I can't imagine anyone who has heard this case and who had previously thought about being in the military not question the um, whether that's a good idea or not. And I, I can't imagine a mother or father or you know family other family members who influence um, young people's decisions to join the military. I can't imagine they would know about this and say, "Yeah, sure, it sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, go ahead and join the military." I, I can't imagine that. And I, I can't. I also. Um, think that, as we mentioned earlier, the ins uh, the intersectionality of things, so Hispanic and um, women, young women, I think those things matter as well. Um, and so I, I think it has likely um, reduced the propensity for certain groups of people to join the military. Now, and that's the person who spent 25 years in the military saying that. And that, that harms me. I feel harmed by that idea because mm -hmm. it was a great experience for me. Mm -hmm. It's where I met my husband. I had amazing experiences. I would not have the life I have now without the time I spent in the military. Mm -hmm. So really, it's how do we how do we identify the the people that find their way into to the military who are not who do not uh, uh, subscribe to the army values? How do we get them out? How do we remove them from the possibility of being in so that people like Vanessa, who only ever wanted to be a soldier mm -hmm. since she was young, she always said that. So people like her can serve mm -hmm. and protect the nation. Um, that's what I that's what that's what I hope. Maybe finally, let me have you change coats or gowns or whatever mm -hmm. to be a scholar as a communication scholar. What do you take away from this? Take away that um, social media has the power to change organizations, a monumentally hierarchical and complex organizations. That's the biggest takeaway. And to negate that possibility as an organization, you're potentially doomed to fail. All right. Well, Michelle Johnson, uh, Newhouse PhD student studying social media and how it can drive organizational change. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate your time. And I just want to say, um, just finally, despite the fact that we're talking about this in terms of a public relations case, mm -hmm. um, this was a human who was lost. Right. And I want to just acknowledge the, the loss to her family um, and, um, and to people who cared about Vanessa. Um, she, she was a wonderful soldier, and she is missed. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration of WAER and the Newhouse School of Public Communications with help from the office of Dr. Regina Luttrell. Find out more about Newhouse programs and research at newhouse.syr.edu research. And you can hear more episodes of Newhouse Impact on our website, waer.org. I'm Chris Bolt. Thanks for listening.